When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hello? This is the Brickflix Fryfest preview series 2019. The Brickflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen and please rate and review us you can just rate us they all have star meters which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all just click on it and you're done and it'd be really helpful trust me the higher the star meter the more reviews we get the more ratings we get the more the britflix.com podcast goes up the charts please 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 come on i'm begging you now everyone listening Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time in your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and this carries on after FrightFest, what was my FrightFest preview podcast series, which I suppose is now post Frightfest podcast series um, for uh, for one of uh, falling over my words. Uh, welcome to the show, Zach Lipovsky and um, Adam Stein. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Very excited to be here. So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about your film Freaks. So before we do anything else, which has got a release date in the US of 13th of September, I'm told. Um, Friday Indeed, Friday the 13th. Yes, indeed it is. Um, and um, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what Freaks is so that people can know? Sure. It's uh, Freaks is a sci-fi thriller, um, and it's basically about a seven-year-old girl who's grown up inside of a house that she's never left. Her dad says, you know, if you ever go outside, if you even look outside, people will kill us. And, you know, you're at the beginning, you're kind of wondering, like, what's going on? What's outside? Who is this guy? Um, is he telling the truth? And pretty quickly, she kind of starts getting up the courage to see if she can escape. And she uh, pretty early on in the film, she gets outside of the house to find out he's telling the truth. And uh, kind of a mysterious sci fi thriller, you know, goes from there. Indeed, it does. Uh, very, very well done without much spoilery there. That's all the. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, it's a fun film because um, it's really kind of mystery driven. The whole film is told from her perspective, and she doesn't know much at the beginning. So mm. neither do you. Indeed. And um, a lot of people, you know, one of their favorite parts about the film is just going through the experience of 
slowly figuring out what is going on uh, for the big payoff at the end. And to the point where most reviewers give the review without saying anything about the movie. <laughs> well, so, they, you know, the, the first half hour is just very confusing, surreal, um, suspenseful. And that's all intentional because one of our favorite experiences as movie lovers is going to a film and really not knowing where it's going to go next and, mm. and not being able to predict what's going to happen. And so we were really excited to try to create a movie that does that. No, indeed. I mean, I think, I think by the time, by the time I was watching your film, I was about 35 films in to uh, my Fright Fest watching experience. So you're feeling pretty surreal already. Wow. Well, the thing is, you're kind of like, you know, that, that notion of, of of um of of what's going to grab you, you kind of feel like you're wanting all, all the time. You're putting, you're watching films, you're going to see them on the big screen, you blah blah blah. And then this yours, your, I was watching yours, and I was like, where the fuck are we going? And I'm completely <laughs> and utterly gripped, but I'm oh, I'm not I'm not knowing where the fuck I'm going because it's like I I got that used to because I, I guess as well I think maybe I arrived at your film after a run of what I would call maybe traditional genre movies. So, yeah, well, one of the tough things about genre, which we talked a lot about, is is genre films sometimes because of just the nature of being part of a genre feel predictable because you kind of know to a certain degree the the steps of the genre and at which point in the steps we're at and eventually either all these people are going to die and there'll be one left or either all these people are going to win and the villain will be defeated or and we wanted to make sure we had a film that you know, didn't fall into any of those tropes. No, sure. I mean, still few, being, you know, satisfying at the end. Of course, yeah. And I mean, one of my favourite films in recent years at Fright Fest was a was a, was another sci-fi, like cerebrally film, uh, Coherence, which, uh, while being a very different story, had a very similar kind of motion to the to the way that it reveals the truth. Yeah, well, one of our one of our inspirations is a is a great story that Adam has about seeing uh, the movie The Truman Show. Okay. Yeah, Truman Show, not traditionally a sci-fi, really. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I saw the Truman Show sort of quite a, a formative experience. I was a teenager, hmm. and um, I, I I walked in five minutes late. Oh. Um, so at the beginning of that movie, they explain everything that's happening in the world. And there's this dome and this kid who was raised there and now is an adult and there's cameras filming him and all, everyone's an actor and blah, blah, blah. And now let's go check in with Truman. And that's when I walked into the theater. And so I had missed all the exposition. And I was just watching this guy in this very surreal world where everyone's staring at him and he's sort of paranoid and but he has reason to be paranoid, but you don't know why. And I just thought it was this brilliant unfolding. And I was completely in the character's shoes, mm. feeling as paranoid as he was. I mean, another great example of that is Rosemary's Baby. You know, I remember seeing that film and feeling her paranoia and how everyone was against her. And, you know, she's right. And, and, and that sort of feeling of suspense and paranoia and dread is sort of something that I love. And, one of the what well, was one of the inspirations when we were writing that i mean i've i've made i made a similar mistake with the film jacob's ladder i walked <laughs> i walked in when he's on the subway train so, <laughs> so you missed the whole vietnam opening yeah and i had no sodding idea what was no. going on most movies should start 5 minutes later well this is the thing you kind of go if you if you're willing to accept and obviously it being a good film as well helps 
then actually that kind of the the, the sort of the sort of it's almost like um, when you, you the, the thing you use to help shoes get on your foot. It's like that kind of thing with the beginning of a movie, isn't it? It's kind of like just let you get comfortable, and now you can go. So, so yeah. you've, you've given us some of the sense of the inspiration. So, do you want to, if 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 the notion of Truman Show was a kind of an inspiration for you, what what for the pair of you as writers was the kind of was was the nugget for you that sort of sparked to life well, and, and went on to become freaks? Well, we we sort of so I I actually when we started writing, I was a, a relatively new dad. I had okay. a five year old. And Zach, you know, being my uh, my my BFF, my best friend, was mm-hmm. was always staying with me on my couch and stuff. Right. And so we were we were both I kind still of am. yeah. He, <laughs> he did that last night. Um, and we were both kind of watching my son grow up and sort of start to try to understand the world. Um, and and kids are so fascinating, trying to understand the things that we take for granted. You mm. know, if, if he had a nightmare the night before. You know, we're trying to tell him, oh, that's not real, you know, even though it was very scary. Mm-hmm. But yet this uh, car alarm goes off down the street and he's scared of that. Oh, that is real. And, and you know, just the, the trying to make sense of the world, what's real and what isn't, what's what's dangerous, but what's not. Mm. Um, and it was just sort of fascinating to see that childlike perspective and being sci-fi fans and genre fans, we sort of got to talking about how interesting it would be to if to to tell a story in a sci-fi world but through a child's eyes okay um, so that the the child's trying to understand that world but if the audience was in the child's shoes like like Truman <laughs> if yeah. the audience was was in the shoes of this main character and also didn't understand what the world was they would be trying to figure it out at the same time the protagonist was trying to figure it out and only, you know, but 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 some things would be different than our world and some things would be similar. So they wouldn't know. Um, and and we just thought that was a really fascinating kind of um, uh, idea. And we we started to explore that. And, and that was the initial seed of Freaks. So what so what in, in, in that's because the film has got sort of that 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 contained drama for sure. That's the heart of the movie. But there's also some big F off ideas going on at the same time uh, which is what we explode into i'm not gonna i won't begin to spoil any of it but but the um so how do you go from that idea of a child's point of view then build a big world outside it but then also do you so i guess what's the writing challenge there for uh not telling us what we don't need to know for as long as we don't need to know you know, our what we tried to stay true to was basically only, you know, never explaining something because we felt like we had to explain it. Mm-hmm. Just only having things be explained naturally through the course of the movie going on. You know, like often mm. when you're writing, you feel like you have to have one of these lines that starts with, as you know, <laughs> and, and they explain something that both characters already know. Yeah. And often you have you feel like you have to do that to kind of explain something to the audience that the characters already know, and that's always so terrible. Mm. And so try to just stay true to the rule of never having an "as you know" line. Okay. And just and just sort of basically, we knew what the world was, 
And the movie starts exactly in that world. And all the things that happen at the beginning of the movie that seem completely like red herrings and and just kind of weird offshoots. Uh, once you know what the world is, all of those things were completely legitimate, actually what was happening in the in the world. Mm. And so what we, what we delighted in was just sort of actually just writing the story from what is happening. But when you don't know what is happening, it seems very weird and crazy. But then the more and more that you spend time in this world, the more and more you realize what's happening and the more and more those things make sense. Uh, the, the other thing that um, your question made me think of is the idea of the containedness of the film mm. and and then exploring the outside world. You know, we started to write it very contained mm -hmm. because we knew we were going to have a low budget and we thought, okay, you know, kid and dad inside a house, we, we can afford that. Mm. Uh, but very quickly we realized, uh, we don't really want to make one of those stuck inside a house movies. We, we, we know that like the experience of watching a movie like that, you know, there, then there have been some great ones, but you, you sort of get 20 minutes in and you sort of settle in and you think, okay, I get it. This is, this is one of those movies where everyone's trapped in a house. They're going to keep coming up with reasons um, to not leave. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that again, sort of kind of fell into a genre trap where it almost felt predictable. Um, and one of the things we delighted in was saying to each other, what if, what if, what if at the end of act one, when she, when she gets up the courage to leave the house, she actually leaves instead of finding another way to trap her in. Like she just leaves. And then the audience will really be at sea, not knowing what's going to happen now. Yeah. yeah just, um, as, just as they're thinking, this is a, a movie in a house. She leaves the house. Um, and so there was sort of almost like a, just a fun to be had with that. And, and some people have told us that, you know, the first in the first act when, you don't really trust her father, uh, played by Emil Hirsch. You, you think he's a kidnapper or he's psychotic or something, and you really want her to escape the house. And then at that moment, when she escapes the house and encounters Bruce Dern and his creepy ice cream truck, you really want her to get back in the house and get away from him. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a really fun sort of twist there and and it made us feel like you know what let's just pull this thread and and push her outside and just we really just tried to get inside chloe's head and think about what is she wanting what would she do next and yeah. and follow her where she wanted to go because in a sense it's it, it i hadn't thought about this till we started talking about it but it's like in a sense it's it's like a coming of age for her isn't it there's this, there's, yeah. there's this thing, and obviously, if you've got your, your your child yourself, you know, you know, there are limits to what your child will and won't do because they trust you implicitly. And we join the movie at the point where Chloe is beginning to not trust her dad implicitly. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite lines that I, we delighted writing early in the movie is, she wants to go to the ice cream truck, and the dad says, "You know what's in an ice cream truck? Frozen dead." kid bodies they chop them up to eat them later and freeze them to eat later and you don't know if that's real or not <laughs> no it's amazing you don't know if he's if that's actually what's in the ice cream truck or if he's just bullshitting and i and in a normal movie you would know he's just making that up to like get her to like hmm. behave but in this world because you don't know what's going on you don't know if there's actually frozen kid bodies in the ice cream truck. and usually that gets a laugh and then people start to wonder, maybe that wasn't a laugh line. Maybe that's real. Oh, shit. 
Yeah, because you've, you've 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 set us up with two. You you set us up like a doozy, really, because you've got like you say, you've got the doubt about the dad. Is it a dad? Dad, dad's a psycho. Whatever he might you think, and then you've got the creepy ice cream truck with old man Bruce Dern, and he's not exactly being. I tell you what, what it reminded me of, and it's only something <laughs> I've got into recently. It, the, the way the drama constructs itself, it feels like a very Pinterest, you know, in the way that. Everyone's mm. telling their own truth, but nobody's actually revealing bugger all to you. Mm, mm, mm. I that, love that. Wow, that, that's 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 a comparison I never thought I'd hear. But uh, <laughs> wow. well, yeah, you, you, it's, it's like I say, it's, it's fresh. It's something I've only recently come to, and it's like the where I live in London. He 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 he, you know, he, he cut his teeth around here, and it was like I thought, why would I not know? But yeah, that whole idea of where people are talking from is from what they know to be true, so they don't have to explain themselves. Yeah, and we also, the other thing we really wanted to make sure when we were writing it is that none of the characters um, throughout the movie are all good or all, all evil, mm. basically, um, even even the little girl. And so, and we did that for a few reasons. One was when we were writing, we realized we weren't going to have a lot of money. Mm. So if we were going to attract you know, hopefully really good actors really, and maybe even some famous actors. Yeah. We'd have to write write roles that were really juicy and really interesting and had lots of different levels. And there was points where you were rooting for them and points where you weren't. But we wanted to make sure that at every point what they were doing, even if you disagreed with it, you totally understood why they were doing it. Mm. And so we tried to just kind of create this messy gray zone where all the characters are sort of, protagonists and antagonists they're all sort of um people that you at some point you're rooting for them and at some point you know they're 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 the conflict for someone else that you're rooting for Mm. um and that kind of evolves for all the characters in the movie throughout um all the way to the end so that was something we tried really hard to do to make sure and we mapped out and stuff just to make sure that there was no character that was just like you know, twirling their mustache and doing things just because we needed a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, with the young, the young girl almost like represents chaos because she's the only one who has innocence in a sense. Yeah, she has innocence, and she's grown up in this kind of bizarre world. So, yeah. what is normal for her is not normal for us. But you know, she has very kids have very passionate but very simple desires. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They they will scream that they hate you and they wish you would die because you won't give them ice cream. Um, and so her desires through the movie are very, very simple, yet very, very passionate and have lots of ups and downs to the point where um, people start dying because of some of the things that she wants. Um, but you always kind of – you always understand why, and that's important. What, one of my, my favorite um... – and it is in that kind of initial sort of where we're still trying to, where we're trying to find our feet as to what's going on, but it is after sort of Chloe sort of entered the the wider world, as it were, is the first billboard we see. And I won't say what's mm. on it, um, mm. but that's such a, well, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't for, for the for the, uh, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. But in that sense, how I mean, because that's about a child seeing it, so there isn't when the child sees it, it's kind of yeah, whatever. Um, but we see it as the audience, and as we're building up our understanding of this world, it's a huge piece of information. 
But I'm guessing on the page that just says there's a poster of this, <laughs> you know, open the distance. Yeah. How how could you? Me- I mean, how are you able to measure the kind of dramatic impact of that? Because that's our first. I guess that's our first sort of step into. Oh right. This yeah. World. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's well, it's funny because billboards it says a lot because if it's on a billboard, that means that it's reached a certain level of society like awareness. <laughs> well, and at that point. Some people who watch the movie are wondering, are we in a post-apocalyptic dystopia? Mm. So just the fact that there are billboards is a sort of interesting piece of new information. Yeah. Um, But I think one of the things that happens in that scene is that um, she she sees that the billboard looks similar to her dad. It's not it's not her dad, but basically what's on the billboard is what happens to her dad. Mm hmm. And so she says she's she approaches it from a personal perspective and asks, you know, he's he's like my dad. Is that a good guy or a bad guy? You know, she's trying to make sense of it in her own frame of reference. But but, I think it's really important for the audience, because at that point in the movie, they're completely debating what is real or not. They're not even they're still like, is this all in people's imaginations? Is yeah. it like they're still they're still so at sea that seeing something as grounded as a billboard kind of That's true. starts to cement. Oh, OK. Maybe this and that and that was actually happening. It wasn't just in someone's imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminds in a way, it's like, I mean, just to go back to that, the reference I said before, like incoherence when they come back with the first, the first lockbox and it's got photographs of them. You're like, hold on a minute. <laughs> this isn't just the lights going out, is it? Yeah. Uh, you, you asked how we kind of modulated the discoveries and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, one yeah. Of, one of the things we did um, that was, uh, kind of a new process for us, but one that was um, inspired by by a lot of different inspirations was we did a lot of um, readings of the script mm-hmm. um, where we got actor friends together and a small audience of friends and just kind of read the script and sort of saw how it sounded, how it felt, and how the audience understood things at different points. Because when you're writing a mystery, you know all the answers. Yeah, yeah. It's really no, hard to understand when an audience is getting certain pieces of information. Yeah, what's this, what's so, discovery, and what and what's you just following your narrative? Yeah, and in fact, when we re- wrote the first draft, we thought we had made this mystery that was so subtle and interesting how it unfolded. But by the end, everyone, you know, was really going to get it, and blah blah blah. And we did the first reading, and nobody understood what the movie was about. Okay. Like at, nobody, at all. It was never revealed for them. And by the end of the movie, so you were too. Said, so you were too subtle. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was very, very obtuse. And people at the end said, "What? What was this movie about? Are they all ghosts? Like, I don't get it." Um, and so we realized, okay, we need to really like, we really need to understand and modulate this so that we're bringing everyone along for the ride, and mm. it's not just. Because it, it could have fallen into us almost like a, a Lynchian um, feel where you watch it and it's interesting and mysterious, but you don't really you can't really penetrate it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, those movies are fascinating, but it's not really what we were going for. Um, and so we did probably five or six of those readings as we went. And then during the editing process, we did we, we showed the cut to people almost every weekend to kind of see what was being communicated when people were getting certain pieces of information. And there were certain changes we made or additions, just little, uh, you know, 
a shot here and there. Like, for example, she sees a TV a couple times in the movie. Yeah. And, and what was on the TV and, and how detailed that was changed based on those test screenings so that we could drop exactly the amount of information that people needed at that moment to kind of stay on the ride. Wow. Yeah. That's, and, so you're talking like it's, you're talking of creating this as iteratively as my eventual watch. Yeah, we iterated more than I think anyone <laughs> normally iterates a film, you know. In live action. It's you very, know, we, were, we were very much inspired by Pixar and, and Spider-Verse and those sorts of movies that do iterate a lot. And we yeah. thought, all right, we don't have a lot of money, but can we do this in live action? Maybe without spending any extra money? Like, that'll yeah. be interesting. It'll be an interesting way to add value to the product and really make it a lot more satisfying for an audience. Hmm. But doing it for free, basically. <laughs> Now, yeah, the, the interesting thing is, like, a lot of people, first of all, they won't read a script if you send it to them, but they'll come and listen to a script be read, um, which is kind of funny. But also, like, we would, you know, every every reading and every test screening over and over and over again would be totally fresh groups of people and just like five or six people. Oh, wow. But, you know, if you show the movie to five or six people, <coughs> excuse me, um, you you get a sense of the audience rather than the individual. Because if you send it to just one person, you get their opinion, and you might totally steer the whole movie based on one opinion. But what you're looking for is the, is the audience's opinion, not just an individual's. Because yeah. everybody has their own pace at which they're willing to go without answers or, um, or their own pace at which they connect the dots. Um, it's different for every person. And so you need to kind of test it as an audience and then also when you have a group of five or six people and they all tell you something and they all agree, you know, it's a, okay. Yeah. If they all say I didn't get that whatsoever. And then you spend all week editing or writing and you, you're like, Oh, we nailed it. We fixed it. That was great. And then we show it to a, a group of five or six new people and they all say the same thing again, that they didn't get it. Then, you know, you haven't fixed it. Wow. Whereas most people just, if they test at all, they test once and then they just kind of pat themselves on the back for making a few changes. You really need to test multiple times. Otherwise you don't, you really have no idea if you're, if you're achieving the thing that, because often the fix might cause other problems. Of course. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, there's the butterfly effect is never, it's never more. But it's than... funny now, you know, we've won quite a few audience choice awards and stuff and yeah. people come up to us at, at film festivals and they're like, oh, I didn't know what was going on. But then I saw this one shot and then it all kind of clicked together. And we're like, yeah, we know, you know, that shot wasn't there when we <laughs> when we wrote it. They're like, That totally yeah. didn't make sense before until we added that shot. Wow. I mean, this is this is quite this is I mean, it's, it's interesting you, you cross reference with Pixar as well, because obviously that will be kind of news to people making live action movies that, that someone might that might take might take their lead from from how they make their movies um but it's it's where you're where you're reliant so much on the whole captivating the audience by mystery and then drip feeding them the information that's going to keep them captivated for the next bit before i mean because there's that whole thing isn't there, about if a filmmaker if a filmmaker doesn't sort of give you a nugget then we stop trusting the filmmaker and that's that's very perceptive yeah that's that's you um, kind of make a promise that's something we learned because we you know uh in that first reading for instance we yeah. were 
we weren't really giving any nuggets. We were we were assuming people would get it and and read our minds. Well, we, yeah, and it just didn't. We thought didn't we work. were. It just they weren't in there. Um, <laughs> but the um, the it's really fun once we get once we kind of baked the product. We yeah. really tried to try to create a mystery, create questions in your mind. And then answer one thing, but introduce more questions. Mm. So it's kind of a rolling process of you figure out something that you are wondering, but then you, that makes you ask more questions. And it, it, it creates what you were saying because it, it makes you feel like you're being taken care of. Like, oh, there's a point to me watching because I know my questions will be answered eventually. Yeah. It was about, I guess it was around about the second time that I got. It was like getting a, like getting an endorphin rush. You kind of go, "Oh, I know what's going on now," and then, mm. and then you're like, "I trust these guys now." Yeah, you kind of it's, and I, obviously I don't, you don't speak that out loud. It's like a mental contract you make while you're watching. You're like going, "All oh, right, okay, I was confused, and then I oh no, I was confused again, but then I was all right, and so on and so forth." It's um, yeah, basically it. It's that you know that you were supposed to be confused. Yes, like yes, you, yeah, yeah. I'm not watching a confused film. I know I'm watching a, a, something that's meant to be confusing. Right. <laughs> yeah, which is a it's a tough ask, that isn't it? Really, of a, of a, of of audiences in this day and age. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful you did. Um, I think people are very hungry for that. Yeah, it's 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 some of our favorite experiences. I mean, I remember. I, I remember the movies that that really had me on the edge of the seat, wondering what was going to happen next. Mm. And I remember seeing Pulp Fiction for the first time and thinking, "Where is this going?" Like i I don't have a I don't have a a pattern already established in my head for where this is going, and so it's fascinating to see. Um, I, so I, I don't know if you've seen um, Aunt Timpson's uh, Come to Daddy, which opened Fright Fest. No, no, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, that, I won't, I won't tell you anything more than the fact that that goes, that pretends to be three different films. Mm, cool. So, instead of it being a mystery as such where you're not, you don't know what's going on, it takes you down the road of this is, this is a coming of age story. Mm. And then it goes, no, it's a haunted house. Mm, no, mm. it's a revenge thriller. And you're like, how the fuck have you just done that to me? <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, I love I love movies that kind of break the mold of 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 what you've seen before. Um, and obviously, there are some familiar kind of um, uh, there you know elements in the freaks world, but we really wanted to just approach it from a different narrative perspective um, to kind of make it feel like something something new. Indeed. Uh, so when you when. So this is how you kind of you, you, you worked a lot. Well, you collaborated with an audience in every stage of the way to make sure you knew the, the kind of product you had was working. So when you were shooting the movie, obviously that that that, that involves casting it, and and key to this this film is is Lexi Colker's performance. So how did you how did you end? Because obviously I can I mean Bruce Dern and Emil Hirsch would, would have would have brought their own challenges, but they are obviously adults and they're obviously you know reasonably time served in front of the camera and stuff. So. For Lexi, and obviously being such such a key part of what your story is trying to do, and make us buy into, what? Well, how did you find Lexi for the movie? It was it was an incredibly daunting um, challenge because when we when we wrote the script and we started to to put it together and cast it and stuff like that, we realized that we'd been incredibly stupid to write a movie where a seven year old girl is 
the lead in every scene and, and not just <laughs> being sort of a passive observer, um, but driving it forward with, with incredible passion. Mm. Um, we, we watched a lot of movies like, um, Beast of the Southern Wild or Room or Florida Project or those sorts of, um, independent, grounded, familial dramas. Yeah. Because we really knew we wanted to cr- create that sort of, feeling and intimacy and, and depth um, in the in the performances. And one of the things we we noticed in those movies is they were very smart about how they use the kids. Um, the, they're told through a child's perspective, um, but they're also the, the children are more sort of observers of yeah. the adults. Um, and we we after we saw those films while, while we had written a couple drafts, we said, oh, shit, like we, we did this wrong. Like we can't have a kid who's who's the main source of conflict and the main like character driving the story forward. We need to we need to redo this and make them more kind of quiet observers. <laughs> um, uh, but we we were already in the casting process and our casting director had kind of been watching tapes, hundreds and hundreds of tapes from around um, the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Um and we did a, you know, a, call, a series of callback sessions and we approached it. We had, we had done a lot of work with kids in the past on more mainstream stuff. Um, we'd worked for Disney Channel doing some Disney Channel shows. Got you. And we, so we had experience kind of working with kids and talking to kids, but obviously with a very different kind of performance style. Mm-hmm. And so we, we wanted to approach this project from a very different way. And really kind of get at the, 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 ch- the children's real emotional experiences. And the way we did that was through improv, um, and through kind of just, um, exploring their lives. So when we did the callback sessions, we just, we were sitting on the floor with our shoes off with coloring books. And, um, we just said, you know what? Come in, come in, sit down, throw the script away, just color with us for a minute and, and, you know, um, let's, let's talk about parents, parents, right? You know, aren't they crazy? Like when's the last time you had a, <laughs> a really big argument with your parents? Um, and, and some of them would say things like, oh, well, they wouldn't let me go to the sleepover I wanted to go to. We say, oh, you know what? Let's, let's do that scene. Let's just improvise what that, what that argument was like. Wow. We had an actor friend who was with us in the callbacks who, would improvise with the kids and, and really kind of try to get to know who they were emotionally. Um, and drawing upon something real from their real life. Um, as, as a dad, you know, and, and be having that experience uh, inspiring the, the character, I knew how fierce and passionate my own son was. Yeah. And, and, and how he could really go to those emotional places over the silliest things. And so we were looking for a kid who had that quality. Um, and so Lexi immediately was there and, you know, you gotta let me go to sleepover. It's not fair. Um, <laughs> yelling back and forth with our actor friend. And then what the actor would do is, is sort of, um, gradually start to bring in lines from the scene because the scene that, that the kids had prepared was, the one where she's saying, I'm special, I'm special. And he's saying, you're not special. So the way it worked in the callback was 
you gotta let me go to that sleepover. It's not fair. I am special. I am special. <laughs> and it sort of <laughs> it sort of evolved into being the scene, but starting from a place of emotional truth rather than starting from the memorization of the lines. Because the way the kid performances turn robotic mm. is that they practice the lines over and over again with their parents. And they've learned them almost like the lyrics to a song where they memorize what the words are, but there isn't any emotional meaning to them. So we, we tried to come at it from the other way and get at the emotion first and then worry about the, the lines later. Um, and Lexi immediately was there and she, her tears were flying and her nostrils were flaring and she was spitting in the face of this actor. Um, and then we were kind of almost taken aback by how fierce she was. And we said, okay, great. Let's, let's stop there. And she immediately switched it off No way. and said, wow, that was really fun. You're a great actor. That was great. You guys. And <laughs> she's suddenly the boss. <laughs> it was, it was very shocking because she's, she's an incredibly kind of um, happy, bubbly girl. Mm. And, and, she could switch it on and off, which was really great to see too, because one of the things we were very much aware of is we didn't want to put a child into this kind of emotionally fraught project and have them be, um, you know, disturbed by it. Got you. And, and it was clear that she could tell that it was just acting. And was excited by sort of where she was getting to in the craft. Got you. So, so when you obviously you 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 grow that you, you decide she's the right actor for the role, and you've got that relationship with her, and you kind of have the understanding of how she she may or may not function for for the for the roller coaster ride of emotions. How does that how does that conversation happen then, where you say to Bruce Dern, you know, you've well, got to, it, you've got to act with this girl now, and you're gonna he she, was, it's going to be great. How, how does that relationship? He was a perfect choice for that because Bruce is is. A incredible improviser and is the only way he works. He actually told us oh, really? that the, the only person who's allowed to improvise on a Tarantino set is him. Um, and he always does this. Um, and he, throughout his career, has kind of, um, he's made a career of making the role his own through, through improv improvisation. Not, not, that he's changing the entire script or the entire scene, but he's adding his little touches here or there um, that, that make it more, that bring it to life, that make it more real for him and that give it idiosyncrasies. And he would always readjust when he, you know, if he missed something important or we needed something specific, you know, he would do that. But he was also always looking for things that were in the moment that would just kind of bring it to life. And, and, and that's what we were looking for as well. And, and he really connected to Lexi because, of course, you know, he saw Laura, his daughter, in her. He, you know, mm. um, he was very, very passionate about, you know, this idea of a, of a character who's, um, uh, who's with a little girl because he, you know, obviously has a little girl that's become a huge star herself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also, you know, his character in the movie is someone who's sort of obsessed with saving his own daughter and, and kind of is obsessed with that drive. And, and that's something that he connected to on a very personal level too. He actually had a daughter who died before Laura was born 
very, very young. Okay. And, and that, you know, it's been probably 50 years since that happened, but it's still very raw for him. And he really sunk his teeth into this, just the feeling of wanting to save, save your daughter at all costs, even at the cost of others. So in that sense, then, um, it's, it's more about the fact that, and in, 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 I really tried this now, but like, it's like everyone's professional and knows what their responsibility are. It's sort of like, well, they trust you. We were trying to create that, that sense of, of life being lived. Yeah. So we would, we would say, okay, this scene is about, um, Lexi, you know, Chloe wants to, wants to go home. She doesn't want to go to grandpa's, uh, you know, Bruce Dern's apartment. Um, and, uh, Bruce, you're going to take her to your apartment. And so that, then, you know, we had scripted lines for the scene, obviously, mm-hmm. but if they said other things that were better, well, we're happy to benefit the project from what, you know, from their things that are yeah, better. It was, we weren't, a, it was we a weren't dance precious. back and forth. It was like, we knew what the scenes had to be. We knew what the goal of the scene was. We knew what each character's conflict was. We knew any specific lines that were in the scene that set up lines you know, that paid off later. Mm. Uh, but we were also wanted to have the realism of kind of something that felt like it was in the moment. And, and so it was always just kind of this, this flexible space. What we've talked about a lot here is obviously is about the, 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 the mystery and the fam and the, the family drama that's, uh, that's emerging for, uh, for, for Chloe. But it's worth saying, I, I should, sorry, it's worth me saying that Freaks has definitely got hard sci-fi and hard horror in it as we get as we as we begin to understand what's going on and obviously when you're working with uh as you've already said a kind of constrained budget and resources what uh, you you make you 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 populate the screen at the very least with with a believable huge world that we enter into so for you what were some of the production challenges of achieving that kind of near future the future we we wrote the movie knowing it was going to be a low budget, mm. but knowing that we wanted it to feel like a huge kind of world in sci-fi horror world that we wanted to bring to life. So mm. we designed it from the very beginning to include things and all, you know, there are, there's probably, there's over 200 visual effects in the movie and stuff like that. Yeah. All that was designed and built from the script stage to be stuff that felt sort of realistic and grounded and sort of could almost looked like a camera had captured it. Um, and also relied like just on the visual effects side relied heavily on, um, compositing and basically techniques that where you're not CGing huge lizard people or anything, stuff mm. that costs a lot of money. Yeah. You're just using techniques that basically are photographic. You're, you're capturing something and then just sort of manipulating it. Um, most of the visual effects I just did on my laptop. Um, you know, there's a lot that you can do with sort of a clever use of perspective. Um, we wanted everything to feel like it had been captured in the same almost semi-documentary style as the rest of the movie. Mm. Um, when you make that choice, it allows you to do a bunch of things. One, you know, the visual effects look more real, but they also end up being cheaper. Um, and you can rely, we rely heavily, heavily on sound effects and kind of the sounds of stuff that's happening just outside of frame. And then you whip over and you look at the outcome of that <laughs> yeah. rather than the expense of having to see it. It was, um, cause it, it, it really sort of, 
it kicks into gear once 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 there's enough information known and and then takes on like goes from this almost like I don't know how much you you feel like they're seeing it now but like the the clear mystery which which I guess is a, I'm gonna I'm gonna say seventy five percent of the film for an arbitrary figure uh, but then it kicks into this sci fi thriller thing that happens afterwards where you're kind of like oh my god we're on the run now my heart's beating what was going on <laughs> yeah great great well I'm so glad you uh, you, you were feeling it Stuart um, the uh, that was that was another thing we just kind of like we felt like okay this is going to turn into a, a rescue mission and, a, and, and everyone's after them and there's life and death stakes. Like we got to go there. We can't just, we can't just, you know, fake it. Mm. We got to go there or people will feel cheated. Yeah. And so we, but how, how do we go there? You know? And, and so it, it, when you have constraints, sometimes I think it makes you be more clever. Um, if we had had $10 million, it, it might've, it might have fallen more into cliche, but we tried to think of clever ways of of achieving that that sort of sci-fi thriller feel and 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 what, pay what, off. Could, could, what, could you give us an example without that wouldn't necessarily be too spoilery? That, that yeah, sure. That, to well, illustrate so what, what, what you're talking about. There's, there's this there's this um, there's this mystery of of the mountain. You know, mm. the, early on they talk about what what is the mountain. Yeah. Um, it's this dangerous place that everyone's afraid of and um, you're not quite sure what it is at the beginning. And it turns out one of the characters is trapped inside the mountain. Mm -hmm. um, you learn that, you know, probably um, halfway through or two thirds of the way through. Got you. And so then we, we felt like, all right, well, we got to go to the mountain. We got to get that character out. <laughs> um, we, we can't just, you know, talk about it we got to go there so yeah. so then we have basically you know for for lack of a better term a prison break with all kinds of action going on um but we couldn't afford you know uh, uh a big you know set of a set of stunts and explosions and whatever but we felt like we had to go there um so it, it kind of we kept painting ourselves into a corner as writers hmm. and and feeling like, all right, let's just see how we can go there. And but then the other part of it is we wanted to keep it grounded too. We didn't want it to start feeling um, uh, fakey. And I think your, at least the the trap we kept falling into was, okay, well if they're doing a prison break, maybe they're hacking into the systems of the. Wait, 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 wait. No, no. These guys don't know how to hack anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We we don't know how to hack anything. Like, if we don't know how to hack anything, why would they know how to hack anything? Um, so we, we kept, you know, you, you hear in the back of your head these sort of Hollywood cliches that you've seen a million times. And so we kept trying to ground it in what are these very normal people? How do they how would they deal with this situation? Um, so that, that was kind of how we approached it. And then in terms of production wise, we just tried to, you know, do it as cleverly as we could so that we can use our budget to its fullest. Mm. What ended up happening was sometimes too cleverly. There was a there was a few well, times yeah. where like we were like, oh, well, we'll just hide that. You'll hear this. You won't actually see it. And then we actually were testing the movie and people were like, you're not going to show me that. I've been waiting the whole fucking movie to see that. Oh, you're wow. just going to do it. 
going to do it in sound? And we'd yeah. be like, uh. So we okay. ended up in, in post, ended up adding s- several visual, big visual effects shots that weren't initially planned because we realized the audience was, was clamoring for it. You know, <laughs> so, so, so were these things that were on the page that you decided, hold on, we don't need to show this. No. So, for, so for example, on the page, um, they were sound effects. Okay, yeah. Okay. So for example, um, uh, when, when Amanda Cruz's character comes out of the mountain. Yeah. And that was all sort of like from the perspective of Chloe in the house and, and done through sound and done through, you know, Chloe's visions Hmm. and not done literally so you can see it. And in our very first screening of the, of the super duper rough cut, people said, what? I've been waiting the whole movie to see this and you're not showing it to me. Um, and said, well, shit, <laughs> you're right. You're right. We can't afford to do that, but we got to figure out how we can do that. And, and so luckily we were able to get like some visual effects houses and stuff basically to do the shots for free with, with the promise that if the movie ever made money, they, you know, they'd get paid. But basically, you know, begging for favors, we added more visual effects shots to make it a lot more satisfying for audiences. Um, the end was, was another example. We had always planned for the very end shot. Mm. Um, but there's a couple shots that precede it where you see more explosions and more, you know, more big, big stuff. And that was not in there initially, but we realized we needed it to really make the ending feel satisfying. One of, one of, one of the things that it's sort of, one of the many things that's happened about the film, but uh, but it's quite a specific one is that the way that you you use time and space to unpack so much, and I was there was those those bits that were so for example, um, I think without context this won't act like any sort of spoiler, but the notion <laughs> the notion that Chloe is going to a sleepover that we find out yeah. later. It's yeah. such a freaky thing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's already been freaky when we've seen it the first time round. But yeah. then to it completely inverts that information that we've understood to be normal. And yeah, as, no, a, as a clue, like to, you know, as we're writing it, it's fun when you kind of you stick to a few rules, hmm. and then and then we would just literally ask ourselves, so what is it she wants right now? Well, if and well, how would she get that? And hmm. then you know, it would just kind of come from talking about character and and you're right that scene where the are you talking about the scene where there's all the girls in her room yeah 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 like so you've got the early clothes, one and then later on yeah. you've got yeah. the, you've got the girl complaining to mom that she doesn't want her in the house because yeah. she keeps ruining my life yeah 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 and and um it's just very real for them it's that that scene where the girls are in her room and and um kind of making fun of her and stuff that was a that was it's it's a very creepy and and scene it has some bullying in it which is you know it was one of the, it was actually a very polarizing scene i think that was one of the most polarizing scenes where people either loved it and it was one of their favorite scenes or they hated it for some reason and it made them really well, we had shot I think, it uncomfortable we shot it even way creepier than it is in the movie like we we went really to creepy town when the way that we shot it very terry gilliam you know lenses i mean we used a lot of wide lenses in general but it was we went all the way and then i think we just realized we went probably too far so we kind of 
kept the scene but dialed back the cr- craziness. Um, and yeah, it was just sort of like from Chloe's perspective, that's an incredibly scary and and, and emotional scene of creepiness and, and and bullying and hitting her where it hurts. Um, but then when you go into that later scene, like you were saying, and you go to the girl across the street and you hear from her perspective how how that's been. You understand her perspective. You understand. <laughs> yeah, it's a that. kind. I'm going to say it's very. You 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 manage to sort of not to pull off a, not to give you another like sort of classic reference or anything, but it's like it's real Alice through the Looking Glass moment. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we just we 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 just realized in a world like this where there's a lot of violence and a lot of suspicion and a lot of fear that everyone is culpable mm. but also everyone is afraid and and has their own perspective on it um and you know th- there's a lot of thematic resonances in the movie that we tried to put in and and you know not put o- not hit over the head mm. but um in terms of um uh, discrimination and xenophobia and um yeah. making people you know, kind of targeting people who are considered different and yeah. and all that. Um, and that scene was really inspired by, you know, I grew up going to a Jewish um, school where we learned a lot of, about World War II and families who, and the kinder transport and kind of families giving up their kids to, to hide them with other families. Um, and that, that scene and that storyline was sort of inspired by some of those stories. Um, Chloe's dad is trying to put her into another family to keep her safe. Mm. Um, And the family that he's trying to put her with isn't, isn't the best, (laughs) but you know, isn't, isn't, uh, isn't the answer to all their prayers. And, and they're just real people too, with their own, desires and their own flaws and their own biases um that that make you realize like oh boy this isn't a this isn't a solution this is a, its own set of problems yeah so that's, a, that's another good example of where you where you've kind of built a world where nobody's a protagonist and nobody's an absolute antagonist either um, yeah we just had a lot of fun with with flipping the audience's hopes into fears basically well, look, guys, uh, I think I could talk about this for a lot longer, but I feel like um, it's not fair on you. So I'm going to um, – I've really enjoyed the well, conversation. It's been really illuminating. I was too. I just don't know if any of your uh, listeners are still listening. <laughs> no, no, no. They will. They will. But it's it's the uh, – because I think what you've brought in um, inadvertently is, is a sort of a, a sort of um, a look, a peek behind the curtain of the craft, which – I've never heard, I've never discussed it in such a way before. The idea of a of a relationship between a screenwriter and a and, a, and an audience who's reading it uh, and listening to it as a kind of radio play, and then the next step from there is then an audience you grow a relationship with to then edit what you've made to make it make sense, but without losing that sort of because you. You don't want to, I guess if exposition is the stick, you want it to keep the carrot all the time. So you want it to keep following the carrot. And this, this is, this is a funny anecdote, Stuart. We, we, we very much needed money making this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking to anyone who would talk to us about potentially giving us money. Right. But we had one investor early on who 
read the script and said, you know, this is cool. This is cool. I want to be involved. But guys, um, it's really confusing at first. And uh, maybe you just should do like a Star Wars crawl at the beginning, oh kind God. of explaining what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, um, I, yeah, that's not what we're really going for. Here. I don't think you really get what, what this is about. Run for your lives! Run for your lives! <laughs> So we didn't partner on with him, but <laughs> well, look on that brilliant uh, anecdote. It just gives me to say thank you very much for uh, giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Absolutely, thank you so much, Stuart. Really appreciate it. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. The music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.